up, everyone? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Brown Girl Green Podcast. I am so excited for you to meet today's guest. His name is Chris Desai, and he is the founder of the sustainable luxury brand Vayu, as well as the Vayu Foundation, which came from Vayu, which also was the foundational foundation, saying foundation a lot, of the U-Ocean Project. The U-Ocean Project is an amazing initiative that is focused on trying to clean up approximately 2.2 billion pounds of plastic waste from the oceans by 2030. Why I find Chris to be particularly fascinating, first of all, he comes from a multicultural background, which you all know I come from a multicultural background, so I already felt like his story really resonated with me because he's someone who feels like he can view these very complex issues, especially when it comes to oceans and plastic pollution waste from a wide variety of angles and has translated his passion for being what I like to call a multivariate into a multi-series of actions. So his story is interesting because he came from the fashion and the music space and basically realized that the fashion industry was polluting and destroying the planet and was like, you know what? He was on a sailboat and saw the plastic pollution that was resulting in the fashion industry and was like, I need to do something about this. And so he decided to basically take his knowledge of fashion and business and merchandise and make a sustainable luxury brand, which is now number two in the United Kingdom, which is insane. So this man knows the definition of scalability, but with sustainability in mind. And he was able to figure out how to then use his knowledge of business and marketing, et cetera, et cetera, to then channel that into his charity, which is the U Ocean Project, which not only focuses on encouraging people to do things like trash cleanups together in their communities, but also to educate young people on how to get involved to solve climate change, to also pass legislation and hold corporations and elected officials accountable through policy and through mobilization. He is someone who is viewing the big picture, the holistic big picture, when it comes to ocean plastic waste and I find that really interesting because he is someone who originally was a part of the problem in some ways by working on fast fashion and realized that it doesn't have to be this way he could use his skills use his passion and do something better for the world and I know a lot of people who sometimes listen to the show may feel like I want to take it take action I want to make a difference but I could never be that person I can't ever be that perfect environmentalist. But I think Chris is a perfect example of someone who was and continues to be an imperfect environmentalist who remains curious and hungry for answers on how to build a more inclusive movement for ocean solutions. And so I hope his story inspires you as much as it inspires me. And I think you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn about how to use fashion, creativity, and storytelling to be able to make a difference in your own community, especially if you feel as fired up as I do about plastic pollution and protecting our oceans. So give it a listen and I hope you enjoy. What's up everyone? Welcome to another episode of Round Girl Green. I'm your host Christy Drutman and I interview diverse environmental leaders and advocates about environmental solutions to addressing the climate crisis as well as the importance of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. 
In today's episode, we are joined with a huge ocean advocate who is doing really innovative stuff to change the game when it comes to storytelling about protecting our oceans. He is an incredible leader in this space, and he's going to tell us a really interesting story about how he shifted his career trajectory to caring about cleaning up plastic pollution around the world and inspiring people that our waters and our seas are worth caring about. So super excited to have him on the show, and I would love, Chris, if you can introduce yourself to the audience. Wow, it's great to be here. I mean, I don't know if I can do as good introduction as that, but I mean, you, you sold me quite well there. Uh, I'm Chris <laughs> Desai. I'm the Global Project Director for UOcean 2050. Uh, we're based out here in the United Kingdom, uh, but we have a global reach in our conservation efforts. Incredible. And can you give us some background on what led you here? What was the journey that got you to working on oceans today? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's one of those journeys that you couldn't even, you know, kind of replicate. It was just very, very organic. It was a non-traditional method into conservation. To this day, I always say I'm like, the world's most glorified litter picker, right? You know, I've, I've addressed conferences of, of 3,000 people and I've said, hi, I'm a trash collector. Just for that reaction, because, you know, ultimately I was in fashion. Fashion has been my heart and soul since I was young. From five years old, I was selling textiles on a local market with my dad. Um, you know, it was one of those stories. My, my dad was a, a refugee. Uh, into the United Kingdom. So, you know, I'm the son of a of an immigrant in that respect. And we had this work ethic, like you'd sell anything and everything, right? You know, you're trying to keep the lights on. So I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. You know, it was hard. And getting to know your product, you know, that was always the thing. He used to tell me, this is how many count is on the knitwear. This is what this fabric is and all these kind of things. And for an amalgamation of life choices, you know, I ended up going into fashion. And from that, you know, I moved to London and I got working in branding and fashion. And the journey kind of just took off from there. You know, it was one of these, I was the first employee of a company. There wasn't even a company before me, right? <laughs> and they said to me, are you good at graphics and designing? And I mean, I was about as good as you know, anyone else that's used paint on their school <laughs> computer, but I had, I had studied graphics for a while. And I said, yeah, of course, I'm a great designer. <laughs> you know? And that was it. My journey into the fashion world started. I learned everything and anything there was to learn about it, from the compositions, the colorways, to the art direction. You know, fast forward 11 years. I'm now the art director for a prestigious fashion firm. We had, you know, 45 staff under me. Um, we had satellite offices around the world. And we, we were actually the third largest manufacturer for one of the retail stores in the United Kingdom. And wow. I kind of look back and I say, oh my gosh, that's an amazing kind of story. But it's actually a lot darker than that. Because during the times of myself building the career in fashion, I was the same child as I always were. And I was asking those questions. What's that made from? How, what's the thread count mm. on that? And then I started, and I say this, before eco was cool, right? Before, before sustainability was, cool, yeah. was the buzzword of everyone. Apparently, 
oil is sustainable these days, right? Everything's sustainable, right? So Everything's sustainable, everything yeah. Is, <laughs> this is a sustainable conversation we're having, right? Before people greenwashed and bluewashed, I was asking those questions. You know, where does this ink go? Is this made of plastic? A lot of people don't even realize that polyester fibers are plastic, you know, mm -hmm. direct from oil of oil. So asking these questions for years and years and years. And as I started at the peak of my career, I was spending ridiculous amounts of time, 18 hours a day in the office, right? And every single Friday, I'd be like, zoom, straight out of the office to the coast. I'd be on a beach somewhere, sailing, water sports, diving, doing something to try and find my sanity, right? And during a weekend away, I came back. And it was one of those Monday morning, it's five o'clock in the morning. I was there to open the office at six and, you know, from everyone around me looking at my life, it would look very successful. And it was so far from the truth. It was unbelievable that this thing that I loved, I had started to do all of that research. You know, I'd gone down the rabbit hole that of microplastics of being in the factories and asking them, where does that ink go? and getting pushed off every time until eventually, you know, I used my position to say, look, if you do not tell me, we won't be working with you. And that's when I kind of, I, I say, I kind of grew, grew a backbone maybe of something, who knows? And, you know, when I truly started to see the impact of what the industry I was in was doing, I realized how devastating it was, you know, the second biggest polluter in the world. And this is, you know, something that, millennials, Gen Z, everyone's shouting about fashion, fashion. And I'm like, if you love the environment, you would not be buying this, right? Mm -hmm. And five o'clock in the morning, I look in the mirror and I was finished. I was done. I was wow. the complete opposite of what anyone else in my life thought. And I, I had that real honest conversation with myself. And you know what, Christy, it was the first time in my life I was honest with myself. And I looked in the mirror and, you know, I won't say the words I said, but I say similar. And I said, you are a bleep, bleep, bleep hypocrite. You really are, right? You yeah. are, you're such a hypocrite. It's unbelievable. How can you honestly say you love the ocean? You love this. You love the planet. You know, you're trying to be sustainable when the very framework I built my life in was unsustainable. And that was yeah. it. That moment changed my life. I walked into the office resignation paper on the table that might drop literally and that that's was it amazing that's where that journey started from from that it was once again just organic i took six months out i literally got on a boat right i went out to sea i left my phone i left my laptop behind everything because i genuinely needed to find who i actually am you know, not this persona that I had created, this this fabrication to the world, you know, Chris Desai, you know, fashion mogul, all this kind of stuff that it was just, you know, yeah, to everyone else. But to me, I was the biggest hypocrite going and I can be vulnerable enough to say that. And being at sea for six months, you know, it wasn't like Bahamas and luxury. This was cold British UK <laughs> weather, you know, like it was minus two. It wasn't what everyone thought and it wasn't a luxury yacht. It was this battered our old sailing boat but being on that yacht I had a moment and once again just like the hypocrite moment it all been leading up to this single moment in time and 
you know, I was meditating on the front of this yacht. And it was, once again, I have a, I think I have a connection with five in the morning. I can't help myself. 5am revelations. Yeah. (laughs) And on the front of this boat, I had the most beautiful moment that would change my life. And, you know, the dolphins were looking up out of the water and looking at me in the eye. And yeah, I had this moment where, do you mind if I get into it, actually? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, oh, this so is great. I'm on like the edge of my seat. Like, <laughs> tell me, I need to know what the dolphins told you. <laughs> well, yeah, no, these, these dolphins are on the bow wave and they kept looking up at me. And this one dolphin specifically, honestly, was like eyeballing me. And I kept looking down and looking away. And then I thought, you know, it would have gone away. And then I looked down. And, you know, even that, you know, that we can't look animals in the eye. Why is that, you know? Why can't wow. I look down in the eye? And I looked down and it was there again. And then the, the moment happened. Like, we hit this wave and it was only just a normal wave. And as I was meditating and, you know, I was kind of in and out of meditation, you'd feel the water spray on your face, right? Just like mm. hit the wave, hit the wave. And then as I'd saw this dolphin and I closed my eyes, we hit the wave and I felt my body jerk forward. And then nothing like absolute silence as in no sounds around me no water hitting my face like absolutely nothing and from that i opened my eyes because i thought oh my gosh like what's happened and i looked around in front of me and honestly it's an experience that you know maybe some of the audience can could relate to and maybe some completely can't you know, but it's just my truth. And I looked in front of me and as the water had kind of came up, it was like frozen in front of my face. And I mean, it's like, it felt for a millisecond, a minute second, I'd been taken out. Like my perspective, my awareness was not there. And then it was like, you know, something, it was like, it came straight through me. And you know how you're sitting on a chair right now? I'm sitting on a chair, right? You can feel the chair beneath you. Imagine that feeling on steroids. So I literally feel as if I I could feel, and this is the the strange thing, I could feel like the grain of the sand underneath the boat on the bottom of the ocean. At the same time as feeling that I could taste it. It's like the the taste of earth. It's, It's like I then, within a second, it shoots back and I can literally feel and I can see myself on this boat and it's like I understood for that token second I mean tears streamed down my face and I just understood you know I would say I don't ever feel I deserved that that mm. moment that moment with God with life whatever you may call it that I felt connected to every single thing that ever existed and does exist and will exist and you know doesn't exist today like it, it's literally a divine connection and from that moment I just felt immediately you know I closed my eyes because I was I actually thought I died to an extent I genuinely thought this is it maybe I fell off the boat you know got chopped into the propeller or something or the 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 keel and honestly and I I closed my eyes again and then it just hit me it was like the water on my face and I just sobbed and I mean I cried for about 25 minutes like I couldn't I mean I'm getting emotional when I talk about it I I couldn't believe that how much wrong how much things I'd done to the planet without with knowing, but without knowing, right? Wow. You know, it's like that 
that I'm okay with doing this as long as it's not in front of my face, right? <sighs> you know? Yeah. And that's it. From that moment forward, I knew exactly what I needed to do. The path had just opened up before me. Wow. That's life, you know? Like, that's like deep deep connection to like something that people don't even really have words for you know and like yeah. it, it found you you know the moment found you for a reason and it's like it, it created the path towards your purpose and it's like it just all lined up it seems like that's really beautiful <laughs> I'm like that's amazing that's amazing and yeah so it, it seems like the ocean has held a lot of answers for you in your life and obviously that led you down the path towards recognizing your responsibility right because sometimes people get caught in the guilt right yeah. i think a lot of people are very aware at, to some extent obviously maybe not they haven't received divine messages from the <laughs> sea but maybe they'll watch something in the news and feel really depressed <laughs> in their bed right maybe they'll get the same effect from a one minute tiktok who knows but yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day it's like you can sit with that guilt, right? But then there, you have to do something with that. And it sounds like you had this revelation that, yes, I feel this guilt. I feel this shame from the life that I previously led. But I also have the agency to now turn my life around and do something different, right? And so what, when you had that turnaround pivotal moment, yeah. how did you move forward then? How did you know what to do to take action after you, you made the pivot? Tell us about that part. Of course. I think this just complements my character in a bad way. What I did is, you know, I've always been, I've been, I've been quite actually proud that I choose the easiest route to get the best results, <laughs> right? That was yes. my job, right? The easiest route to get the best results. So what I did, I thought to myself, okay, if, if I go off and go and count turtles in Costa Rica, is that going to make a difference, right? I thought, what I need to do is to create something bigger than myself. I need to actually step out in that zone that is uncomfortable, step out in that zone that scares me, you know, because I'd always lived a very comfortable life over the last eight, seven, eight years of that career. And that was it, you know, going from, I think when you're from, you know, an immigrant family, there is that inherent fear in you that the ground beneath my feet will be lifted up and I will have to go. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. It is yeah. a drive. I mean, you, I'm sure you understand, right? It's like, whether it's from our parents, our upbringing, our community, like, you know, we're always looking just to, we, we do things out of fear so much. The fear that I won't be accepted, the fear that I will be told to get out of this country, you know, just barbaric things in your mind. It plays a part sometimes, you know. And so what I did is, you know, I thought, let me do the, the thing. How do I stabilize myself? How do I create something, right? So I thought, I know about fashion. I know how damaging it is. Why don't I try and firstly try and change the industry to start with? I can't do fast fashion anymore. It's bad. It's dirty. It's all of these things. So I set up an organic luxury slow fashion brand and I started mm -hmm. to narrate the stories. And, you know, it was one of these things that once again, it probably wasn't the right thing to do at the time. But I thought, you know what, let's do it because I know I can do this well. Right. And I have bills to pay. <laughs> so I, I set this brand up. And when I was on that boat, the reason why I did it after that meditation, the next about 
five days I was meditating again every morning and it was like something had been opened up to me something in my mind it was like streaming like how Netflix Mm. does right it was streaming into my mind and honestly like people must have thought I'd lost the plot because I had this paper and pen and I'm writing like words down in colors and sketching and I'm like I genuinely just I couldn't handle all the thoughts that were going through my mind right it's like I've been freed from this prison and um I kept writing this word down right and I wrote down about six variations of it and the word is vayu Mm. right v-a-y-y-u and Mm. I kept writing it down and I went vayu what does what does this even mean? I'm just making words up now. I've definitely lost the plot, right? And, uh, <laughs> but I, I kept it. I kept on it, you know. And I took this pad with me back to London. And when I was going through it, through my meditation, through my prayer, I just went, oh my gosh, I'm going to do organic, slow fashion. And I'm going to call this brand Vayu. And just thought it's a great name. Sounds sleek. You know, looks good on paper. Why not? Got, got everyone involved. And my lawyer and everyone was doing the trademarking for it. And I get this phone call one day, and it was about four months after. And he said, Chris, I've got some some good news for you. You're, it's all been passed. It's yours, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. And he went, I never, he goes, I've known you for many years. I didn't know that you were that kind of uh, cultural or that, you know, that you had done so much research into something. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, value. I mean, you've, you've researched this well. And I said, I have no idea. I said, I've made it up. He said, you didn't make it up. It exists. And I said, what do you mean it exists? And he said, Vayu is a Sanskrit word and it means God of the wind. Whoa. And that point, once again, like, boom, just sobbing, like, feeling (laughs) that I'm in, like, you know, like, the hunger games that my life is being you know, constructed around me without me <laughs> even knowing that I'm just this character, you know? And, wow. and that was it. I mean, fast forward, I launched Bayou Organic, Slow. We use like sand filtration pits, dye fluid systems, organic uh, fabrics, no plastic, biodegradable stuff, you know, very much. We used to say, look, only buy what you need. Don't buy two, just buy one, we limited purchases, all that kind of stuff to create a slow fashion market. Keep that t-shirt for 10 years not one week you know and two years in we reached the second most ethical brand in the uk by the good shopping guide um, wow i mean because you know what to do you got I, the skills but you used it for good <laughs> well i don't know about that but yeah it, it worked right i think there's forces that play here right so that happened right but then once again christy it's like i was sitting there and i had this overwhelming feeling that I've just done the easy option. I've said I want to help the planet. I've done this this sustainable brand that's made a bit of money. We've came, you know, got a bit of fame from it. And I went, oh my gosh, I am still not repairing the planet. It's like, I can't Mm. help this inherent ego within me, the selfishness potentially. And Mm. so, you know, true to my character, my word, Christy, I did the next best, easiest thing. I said, (laughs) I'm going to donate some money to a charity. <laughs> that's how it goes that's how it goes like, that's true you know i'm gonna pay i'm gonna pay for my redemption here right you know this is the truth this is open heart right no i love this this <laughs> is so good i probably sound like an awful person but i'm just me right 
So, no, this is like what people need to hear, right? Like people need to know the steps towards, you know, get taking action, right? That's very realistic. And I think you're walking us through your own yeah. process of unlearning. Like so many people are going to benefit from hearing this. So it, it continue gets better. on. Yeah. It does get better. Yeah. I do become a better person, I believe, at the end. Sort of. Okay. It's maybe. Great. Um, Great. So I looked for a charity to give some money to because I thought, let, let me give back. Let me empower people. Let me do something. And I wanted it around river and ocean plastics because that's always been my pet, you know, kind of ethos, my pet hate, seeing plastics in the water. And what I did, I went back to the town that I was born in, which is a town called Leicester in the East Midlands. It's in the United Kingdom. We're famous for about two things. One is cheese, red Leicester cheese. And the other thing is David Attenborough. There, ah. you know, yeah, you know, so I'm the new cheese and David Attenborough, <laughs> and hopefully Chris Desai one day, right? You know, I'm, the brown, Chris Desai, yeah. I'm the brown David Attenborough, right? <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yes, yes, yes. I love this. So, I look for a charity to give money to, right? And surprise to surprise, there is nothing. And I mean, I spent three months, I had meeting, I went up and down the country to find a charity that dealt with ocean plastics, river plastics, considering we're an island, we live on an island, right? there's a lot of coastline. Everyone that I found seemed to be very privileged, middle-class, upper-class, social class with a big play, Caucasian, on the coastline, mm-hmm. delivering these kind of projects. And I mean, it's amazing, it's great what they're doing, but I kind of went, you know, I'm a brown kid from the city, like, how does this, how am I ever going to be a part of this? You know, talk about mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. And yeah, after three months of searching, you know, I had that sit down meeting, that mirror mirror talk again, you know, and I just said, you know, I know what I need to do. I need to set my own charity up. I need to make conservation accessible. And that's when I started the Vayu Foundation, a registered charity. And then shortly after doing that and getting over myself, you know, I, I launched the U-Ocean Project and we spent about eight months planning this. What does the U-Ocean Project look like? How does it engage with, you know, isolated groups, disadvantaged groups? How do we make, how do we level the playing field? How do we diversify conservation? How do we decolonize conservation, you know, for everyone so it's accessible? And U-Ocean was about to launch. We're ready. We're on the start line. I'm like, good. I've got some money behind me. I'm going to do this. We're going to take action. We're going to change the world. We're going to stop ocean plastics, right? You know, the hero mission. And then we'd started to hear things on the news talking about, this was March 2020, right? So we'd started to hear this, this news coming out of China and then Italy about this virus and this pandemic and things like that. And then it hit the UK. And the UK goes into a full lockdown, March 2020, the very week I'm launching UOcean. And by this point, cards are, like, cards are on the table, like your know, chips are out. And I've gone, oh my gosh, like vulnerability times a thousand, like everything financially, mentally, emotionally, all of these kind of things. And I just went, why? Why? Like, come on, after you've taken me this far, is this, why? Like how this doesn't work, this is not part of the plan, right? Anyway, and I spoke to the team and the team are in like, you know, they're kind of, everyone's up in arms like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? 
And I had this calm in me, actually. And I just said, you know what? Give it a few days. I said, I think it's going to be okay. Let me just have a think. And that was it. Three days later, there's this message and it said, everyone's allowed out of the house for one hour a day for exercise or nature, right? And I just went, why do we not give people litter pickers, create a platform, create some sort of recording of it, and we enable people to go out on their own picking plastics out of rivers and coastlines and they can report mm. it back to us. That was it. That was the saving grace that people had the time to go out in nature. People had two years to explore their areas, right? From mm. that, from me going on a list pick on my own, you know, to now 6,000 volunteers, right, around the world. Wow. Um, going from one chapter, one new ocean chapter, to now 18 new ocean chapters in the UK. We've got 15 new ocean chapters internationally. I just came back from Bali two weeks ago, was in the ocean Saudi Arabia a month ago. Uh, we just opened up new ocean Malawi last week. I mean, literally, you know, we've expanded across the, the globe. We're the fastest growing uh, BAME organization around conservation out of the UK. And yeah, we've removed now over 360,000 kilos of marine plastics, which wow. to give people an idea, that's around 3.2 billion bottles worth. Um, wow. And this was all on a shoestring, right? And this is all from me trying to take the easy way out. So that's kind of where, that's where we are. I mean, you wow. ocean started out of a self-realization that I wasn't being true to myself. It then got forged through trying to do the easy option and getting pushed back at every single point. And, you know, ultimately, Uotion was born out of just an honest conversation with myself and mm. an honest conversation of where I fit in in this planet, you know. Wow. And from that, we've managed to implement all of the things we wanted to. We work with refugee groups. We work with the race equality centers. We work, you know, with isolated communities, Asian communities, black communities, you know, mm. different types of people uniting together. I mean, we look like the United Colors of Benetton, right? I mean, it's <laughs> literally the most beautiful sight to see religions uniting, colors, mm. people, ethnicities, everyone uniting into this big mixing pot of ocean conservation. And that's it. You know, we stay fresh, we stay trendy, we, we make this look glossy, we make it look good, we go on boats, you know, we've got electric boats, kayaks, we do it by wow. hand, by foot. I mean we we get out there. So Wow. Yeah. Well it's impressive. <laughs> I mean the the rate at which you all have grown in, in even a short amount of time is a testament that I think more people are waking up to the realities that our oceans need help and they need support and they have been so polluted and ignored and, and humanity has only explored such a small minuscule percentage of our oceans, right? And even in that minuscule percentage, it's polluted with our own waste. So it's, a, it's crazy to like reckon with it all <laughs> in some ways. And I would love if you could dive a bit more into like, how have you all, like, what, what are some things you all have considered to make ocean conservation more diverse? Like, what are some of the, the maybe small things or bigger pro programmatic things that have created more inclusivity to make a chapter in a place like Malawi? Like, what are some of those considerations to really think about accessibility concerns? Of course. 
I think, you know, it all stems, like I was saying earlier, from that honest and open conversation. It's about mm. taking the ethos that what may be true to me might not be true to someone else. It's about saying what may be accessible to me might not be accessible to someone else. So, you know, there's this whole Western saviorism. I'm not sure if you <laughs> coin we coin that term quite a lot in the UK. Um, yes. Is it the same? Same in the US? Yeah, similar. It's it's like yeah. white savior, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm saying Western, but you know, you want to jump. We don't hold back on that on the show. But yeah, anyways, that's, that's good. Uh, but yes, Western savior, Western savior too. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, this this whole idea that we can go to Africa and India and to Southeast Asia and say, hey, I know what you guys need. You guys need this. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, yeah. that in itself is just so problematic. So yeah. the first thing we did is we went out to these places. We sat down in these villages. I went into these people's homes. I ate their food. I spoke to them. I, I experienced for a token, you know, week, their life. What are their problems? What do they mm. need money for? You know, my my version in my mind of how Asia is or Africa is or this is, you know, being an ethnic minority in England, you know, we have our own like microcosm of culture, right? Mm. You know, we don't truly, when we go back to the homelands, it's like we're foreign. Right? <laughs> so it's that kind of idea of going out there with no preconceptions and saying, what do you need? How can I facilitate you? to make this happen. And here's the educational piece behind it. Here's the environmental piece behind it. Here are most importantly, the resources behind it. Here's the money, here's the equipment, here's the job. You know, it's about actually being practical. It's so easy for us, you know, in, in this hemisphere to say, you know what, I'm gonna volunteer my Saturday and Sunday to go plant trees and remove some plastics from a river. You know, when you're in a country where it's hand to mouth, $2 a day, $1 a day, you don't have the luxury of taking time to be a conservationist. So how mm -hmm. they can actually empower and employ these individuals from remote communities? How can we get them resources? How can we get them wages? How can mm -hmm. we actually make their life? You know, because you see like these guys, these girls, they work hard. You yeah. know, they know the meaning of hard work, you know? Yes. And it's like, we work hard, they work harder because they're, yes. they're working to survive. And that's a yeah. very different thing than us here. So we literally went and listened. That's all I could say is we listened. We then started working, you know, what are the, the barriers to entry here? Is it cultural, right? Why are people not mm -hmm. recycling? Why are people not putting their rubbish in a bin? Oh my gosh, because there's no bin service. The country has no infrastructure, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's so easy for someone to point and go, oh, you know, it's Africa and India that pollute the most in the Philippines. It's yeah. like, but why? People, humanity, I believe with all my heart, are inherently good. There's some bad people out there, but I think there's so many good people out there, so many people to support. And when you realize that and you ask those questions, then they say, you know, like I was sitting on this remote island in Indonesia and I asked the question because there's burning piles of plastic all around me. I mean, literally, like up my nose, in my eyes, burning. And, you know, I had to detox when I got back, trust me. You know, but I was asking yeah. them, why are you burning this plastic? And, you know, I had a translator and they just said, there is no bin. <laughs> you know, like, simple as that. Simple as, simple that, as yeah. that. There is no bin day. There is no government bin. There is no collection. 
there is no recycling facility. Therefore, we either throw it in the ocean, river, or burn it. Because that makes sense, right? Yeah. And that's a hard thing to hear for a lot of people. Even on the show, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are aware of certain things, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that are still learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you go somewhere where they don't have the infrastructure, I always say, what would you do in that situation? You'd do the exact same thing as they're going to do. You wouldn't, what are you going to do? Pile it up in your front living room course you're not you're gonna throw it outside you're gonna get rid of it you're gonna do something right so then we started to look at everything so like cleanups education and advocating for a for Mm. a better world a cleaner world and then actually putting infrastructure in place you know we went then to the recycling houses the recycling facilities we then spoke to the community we then set recycling facilities up if there's not one there you know we Mm. really started to look you know then we're saying why are we getting it from the beaches and in the open ocean, when we can put a river barrier in place and stem the bleeding, stem the plastic pollution problem. So then mm. we started to implement river barriers and then wow. our amounts started to add up tons a day. And then we're employing people to clean the barriers. We're employing local people to create the barriers. We've now created this, you know, blue economy around the ocean that's accessible, that is diverse, that levels that playing field you know, where there's no excuses, there's just action, right? Less talk, more action. And that's what I love about what you all are doing. It's not just about trash pickups. It's so much deeper than that because you all have identified that this is a systemic issue. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the advocacy and education pieces, specifically the advocacy, because I know that's a big part of like where you all are pushing your programming moving forward. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. It's about, I think it always starts with education. You can't advocate without good data, good education, good knowledge about this. So it's about when you can relate that data to the person that doesn't necessarily know about ocean plastics, river plastics, care about that. When you start putting that data out there and saying, you know, in the UK, the average person consumes around 2.5 grams of plastic a week. That's a credit card in their food, water, and air. So you're eating a credit card a week of plastic because of this problem. How do you feel about that? Mm. Right? When you start putting it in terms that everyone can understand, you know, like a person like me can understand, right? Not a conservationist (laughs) out of training. You know, I am now (laughs) a conservationist, apparently. For the average person that studied something else, that engineering, that studied marketing, media, journalism, whatever it may be, putting things into perspective. And that's when we started saying, okay, look, why are we still using single-use plastics? What can we do about that? Going to parliament, speaking to the members of parliament, MP, legislation, advocation, you know, Mm. awareness evenings, going into schools, going into schools as well, right? Imagine this. We go into inner city schools. We speak in with children, you know, that are first, second generation and kind of ethnic minorities. And, mm. you know, I can relate to them because it's like my culture. It's, you mm. know, my people. So it's very much kind of saying, you know, just because mom and dad said this is how we do it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that in, in, in a family is a hard thing to grasp a lot of the time. There's not actually a reason behind it. Oh, it's just because it's always that way. That's just what we do, right? Mm. 
And I think these are the conversations we start to have, which makes everyone uncomfortable, right? You know, this yeah. is that conversation when I when I walk to walk into like a family event and everyone's like, oh, oh here it goes. <laughs> you know, you know, there's, there's no pink elephant That's in the room here. That's such a thing. That's so true. Christy, I know you've had that. I know you. It's know. true. Like I like <laughs> I remember when I was first starting out, it was like oh, like, can't talk about this in front of her or can't bring that up. And, like, no. even with my parents, like, it was just one of those things where it was, like, viewed as disrespectful if I was going to challenge yep. them on, you know, yes. why are we buying this or why are you doing that? And, yeah, that's, like, that is a – that's levels. That's true. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And, and that's what we talk about. These are the barriers to entry. These wow. are these, like, self-imposed barriers. Yeah, and this is what, you know, as, as you know, a person of color, I think in my community, as a person in my friendship circles, it's very much that we never admit self-imposed barriers, right? It's everyone else's mm. fault. Ah, uh, they didn't hire me because of this. They didn't. Look, you know, I'm getting deep here, right? Oh I'm saying my gosh, I didn't that, know this is going to go here, uh, but I like no, this. That we don't want to talk about, but these are sometimes, not always, right. not always, by all means, there's still a lot of racism and sort of, of things out there. Of course. But a lot it's of conditioning. the time, it's, it's self-imposed barriers. Conditioning. We, it's not for me. I'm a, I'm a person. I'm, I'm not supposed to do conservation. I don't live on the coastline. I'm from a city. I'm from a refugee family. I'm from an immigrant family, right? It's self-imposed barriers. But what we started to see, when there's all of us out together from different races, different cultures, different genders, different abilities, right? You know, we've got guys in wheelchairs. We've got people that, you know, are able. We've got people that are, you know, this, people that are that, people that identify with all sorts of things these days, right? And it's one of these things that they can come to our conservation and not have that judgment. They're around people that maybe are not like them, but they are different as well. That, you know, it's an amalgamation of everyone. And it creates this kind of, these beautiful conversations, you know, sometimes in our cleanups, right? There'll be like a hundred, 120 of us out cleaning a river. And I'll just walk along, right? Everyone's cleaning up, doing the thing. I'm doing the easy part, right? <laughs> no, I'm joking, joking. I get stuck in now. I get stuck in. But you know, I, you know, I listen to some of these conversations, you know, and I've just seen and heard some of the most beautiful conversations where people will be talking, you know, from different things. You've got like an old Muslim man, and then you've got, you know, like a young English, you know, lesbian, let's say, right? Something like that. You know, I'm talking worlds apart, right? But right. They're walking along and they're talking about stuff and then they go, talk about food. And they're like, oh my gosh, we both go to this restaurant. Oh my gosh, like we, they <laughs> like the same food, the same dish, they like the same music, like all of these things. And it, it's like, I'm watching this melting pot before me. And I'm saying, is this not the world that I want to live in? Yes, it is. Mm. A, a, a world of acceptance, a world of tolerance, a world of peace. And conservation, ocean conservation can unite every single person, right? We need the ocean to breathe. One out of every two breaths comes from the ocean. I wouldn't have this conversation with you without the ocean being where it is. So therefore, we all have a debt of gratitude, a debt to the ocean, that from all walks of life, we all can join together and repay her for what she has given us abundantly without asking for a single thing back. Oh, that was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to hear that too. Uh, you know, 
I could talk to you for hours about this. This is amazing. And I just, your passion is so palpable and you really are like, you know, you're not just LeBron, David Attenborough, like you're in your own lane, creating such new conversations and new ways of thinking about how this work can look. And it's just so inspirational, honestly. And just what you ocean's doing, like you all are taking, you know, that three pronged approach of, you know, action, awareness, advocacy, um, inclusivity so not just talking about like the oceans matter but people matter the people that benefit from oceans matter right and like that's creating a whole new lens a whole new tone to the conversation that will make more people want to get involved and i think that that's what the world needs more of so i would love just to wrap up this conversation that has been so impeccable if you can (laughs) share with people how they can get involved with you ocean or just you know, resources you'd like to share for people who listen to this and, and want to tap in, let, let them know what, what you think the steps they could take are. Yeah, sure. So U Ocean is the letter U Ocean, right? So the letter U Ocean. So you can head across to www.uocean.org and hit us up on Instagram. It's U Ocean Project and hit me up on LinkedIn, Chris Desai amazing and do you have any last calls to action for people um who maybe if they still aren't convinced that they should work to protect the oceans what's your what's your key call to action or message to them hate is gonna hate no not really (laughs) (laughs) no my my last call is do you know what everyone on this planet like i just mentioned everyone on this planet is alive and thriving right because of the ocean so whether you are a thousand miles inland right every river leads to an ocean right every stream goes to a river every stream goes into that every river goes into that it's this conveyor belt to the ocean the ocean then obviously recycles all of that puts the water into the clouds and back on land right whether you like it or not you're a part of this beautiful and amazing system and i encourage everyone just to have that conversation with yourself. Don't, you know, you don't have to be a conservationist. You don't have to start an organization. You could start doing the smallest things like reducing your plastic usage. You could just start by upcycling. You could start just by looking for fruit that doesn't have plastic packaging. You know, small things in your daily lives, we all appreciate and we have so much gratitude for the individual that takes small steps where they can, you know, steps that they can afford to take you know conservation can be one of these things right like you said the accessibility of it you know you don't have to be near a sea you don't have to be rich you don't have to be white you know anyone can do this you can Mm. all look after the ocean in your daily lives so just take action in the smallest way possible and it'll be greatly felt incredible and you know i think the biggest takeaway i'm getting from this episode is that no matter what your starting point is every person has a role to play and i think you know developing that consciousness that you do have the power and the resources whether big or small to do something within your own agency i think you are a living example of that right like you went on your own journey but every single person on this planet can develop that own sense of consciousness shift if they allow themselves to be open to it right so i hope that if you listen to this episode that you really absorbed Chris's uh, message of his own journey and and shifting consciousness and maybe it'll encourage you to also 
challenge yourself on ways you can open yourself up to those energies as well. So thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show today. Such an inspiration. I can't wait to continue to build with you and collaborate and continue to build our friendship as well. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Brown Girl Green podcast. I was your host, or I continue to be your host, Christy Drutman, and I interview environmental leaders and advocates about diversity and inclusion, as well as creative solutions to the climate crisis. Make sure to subscribe to the Brown Girl Green YouTube channel, the Brown Girl Green podcast, wherever you get your shows, and the new Brown Girl Green podcast Instagram. Thanks, everyone. 